from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the CER Podcast. My name is Sophia Besch. I'm here with Christian Odendahl, who's the CER's Chief Economist and also our eyes and ears in Berlin. And so what we're going to talk about today is the German elections. There are four main questions that I would like us to talk about. The first one being, why does it look like Angela Merkel will win again? The second, who can she actually govern with when she does? What would these different governing coalition options mean for Europe? And finally, what would they mean for Brexit? Christian, are you in? Fantastic. Let's start. Brilliant. Um, two weeks before the elections, if you have a look at the polls, the CDU, CSU, so Merkel's Conservative Party, stands at 37%. The SPD, the Social Democrats, at only 21. And then we have three smaller parties, the far-left party, the green party, and the far-right party, and they're all around 10%. How did that happen? If we look back to the beginning of this year, Martin Schulz, the Social Democrats' main candidate, had a big run. He started off with a huge approval rating, and people thought that he might actually become Germany's next chancellor. How did Merkel end up here again, Christian? So I think that's um, part of the reason is, of course, Angela Merkel herself. Um, I think sh her ability to project a calm, experienced leadership role to the, to the German voters and, and instill confidence, I think, is still intact. I think she's very good still at disarming the opponents. And in part, of course, it is also the Social Democrats' fault that they let this happen. Yeah, what happened to the Social Democrats, Christian? Yes, yes th I think I think the, the Social Democrats themselves struggle a bit with this uh, surge in the polls of uh, Martin Schulz at the beginning of this year. So why, why he increased in the polls, uh, basically to overtake Merkel uh, for a while. Uh, Germans seemed to favor him over, over her. Um, and then why this, this effect evaporated so quickly. I think the Social Democrats still struggle with it. I, my explanation is that they haven't managed to convince uh, voters that they will really bring a sort of new, new kind of policies, new government, uh, that they are different from their platform. Yeah. And I they had a difficult start, of course, because they were Merkel's coalition partner for the last four years. Exactly. So, but, I, but I still think they could have pointed to policies where they could credibly say, look, this is something we all, we've always wanted. The CDU has always blocked it. But in the next coalition or when we run the government, it will, things will be different. Um, so th I think there was, there's plenty of scope for the SPD to be different on social policies, on inequality, on social justice, on family policies, on investment and so forth. Um, and, and, and the SPD was too cautious and I think wanted to run a two centrist program. And then you have exactly the problem that Merkel too easily demobilizes SPD voters by just presenting herself as the more experienced leader that brings the same kind of policy. Right, but let me push you a little bit on that. Because when you say that there are things for the SPD to do domestically, um, you talked about inequality, uh, poverty, Germany is doing remarkably well. And wouldn't you say that Angela Merkel is also benefiting from the status quo in Germany right now? We have almost no unemployment um, economically. We're the strongest power in Europe. What's there to do really still for the SPD? Yeah, that's a, that's a, fair, qu that's a fair point. And I'm not saying it was ever easy for the SPD given the circumstances. I mean, when Merkel started in 2005, um, uh, Germany was in a, in a dire economic situation. Unemployment was very high and, and, and now Germany is, is close to full employment. 
and, and the economy is doing very well. At the same time, though, um, it's still almost a quarter of Germans working in low wage uh, in, in the low wage sector. Uh, that is one of the highest uh, in, in, in Europe and roughly on the same level as, as the UK. Um, and I think there is a lot of um, discomfort with the level of inequality, uh, with the level of poverty. And so that's why I think there was still plenty of scope. But of course, the status quo and the good economic situation, plus the slightly strained you know, situation politically in Europe and in the world, I think that benefits Merkel, of course, as well, because she has shown that she's a very, very experienced, very calm leader of, of German interests. So that's why, um, yes, it was never going to be easy for the SPD. Yeah, I think it's absolutely right what you say about her being perceived as a stable, calm, experienced leader, as a pair of safe hands when Germans feel, perhaps when they look to their immediate neighborhood, less safe than they have in the past with crises in uh, Russia, with the migration and refugee crisis. We will come on to that later, I think. That brings us on to the next topic, though, um, which is who can Angela Merkel... I don't think it's a very bold prediction at this point in time to think that she will be the next chancellor. Who will she be able to govern with? There are six parties that are probably going to enter the Bundestag. Merkel has kept her options relatively open. She's only excluded a coalition with the far right and the far left. That leaves the FDP, the Greens and the Social Democrats. And difficult coalition talks are ahead, I think, for all of these options. Let's start with the most status quo option, which would be another grand coalition between Merkel's conservatives and the SPD. Christian, what are the issues? So I think the issues are, are, are not so much on the on the CDU's or Merkel's side. Um, I think the issues are mostly for the SPD side. Last time around, when the SPD joined the grand coalition, um, they had to ask their members, and there was a member vote, uh, whether the SPD should join. I think that was won by 75%, so relatively comfortably, but um, it was only because the SPD could convince its members that the coalition agreement between the CDU and the SPD was sufficiently left-leaning in, in terms of policies uh, that the SPD voters could stand behind it. And in part, the argument was, look, this time around, we are going to push through these relatively left-leaning policies, and that's why we will be rewarded uh, in four years' time. Now, that reward doesn't seem to be forthcoming, so SPD members may well decide um, that this time around uh, they would rather they would rather choose the opposition benches. So um, it, it's going to be it's going to be difficult for the SPD to negotiate a, a, a coalition contract that again convinces the membership of the SPD to join the Grand Coalition. Right. So what are her other options? And there's the Green Party and there's the Liberal, the Yellow Party, which means that we have the option of a tiger coalition between the black conservatives and the pro-business liberals, uh, the option of a black-green coalition, but for the moment, neither of these small parties will actually have enough votes to govern alone with Angela Merkel, which means that we're looking at what is called in Germany a Jamaica coalition between the conservatives, the greens, and the liberals, the pro-business party. The problem with that coalition is that they are on the opposite spectrum of political views on many issues. And the Greens are split internally. So we have a very pragmatic leadership right now of the Green Party, which is willing to go into coalition with Angela Merkel. There is also, however, a left wing of the Green Party that is less willing to compromise on some of their stances in order to enter into government with uh, the Conservatives and the Business Party. So I think... 
with the numbers as they are right now, we would probably look at quite difficult coalition talks after the elections. Right. Um, let's talk about what these different coalition options as they stand right now would mean for Europe. When I say Europe, I mean two big issues, really. Um, one is Eurozone reform and one is Germany's role in European foreign and security policy. Christian, shall we start with Eurozone reform? Sure. Also, Germany is not that open to further integration of the Eurozone in any case. It's not that there is a big shift um, between uh, between now and, and the policies that Germany is going to, to favor after the election. Can we just maybe take a step back? When you say further integration of the Eurozone, what we're looking at really are the proposals that have been put forward by French President uh, Emmanuel Macron, right? Exactly. So this is further integration on the fiscal side, which means a common Eurozone budget, a common Eurozone finance minister with a relatively strong mandate, and um, and further risk sharing when it comes to common deposit insurance for banks and so forth. These are issues that Germany is is relatively strongly opposed to, and that's why I don't expect any big leap forward. But I think there is a bit of a difference between those coalition options. I think the worst a uh, coalition option in that case would be the Tiger Coalition, CDU, SP, uh, um, FDP, so um, Merkel and the Liberals. And uh, the smaller their majority is, the worse it is, because then they are dependent for their majority on the hardliners in their respective parties. And when it comes to Eurozone reform, particularly the, the, the Liberals are not very compromising. So I think Macron's reforms would probably not go anywhere if we had such a if we had such a coalition so that's why i think if there is a grand coalition that is probably in terms of eurozone reform the best we can can hope for um because the spd is much more open to macron's ideas much more open to more investment in europe and so forth which brings us on to the issue of what would these different coalition options mean for germany's foreign and security policy in europe merkel has embraced a more robust uh, foreign and security policy from germany she supports the two percent defense spending target. She's also embraced a stronger role of Germany within NATO and together with Emmanuel Macron, she has really pushed forward EU defense integration with some initiatives from Paris and Berlin. On the foreign policy side, Germany has taken quite a strong leadership role on sanctions against Russia, against German business interests really. And we've also had the military deployment of German soldiers in Lithuania, uh, in the NATO alliance, and in Mali with the European Union. These are all small steps, but they really point to change in thinking in Germany. What would change uh, after the elections? Really, the most interesting party to look at here are the Social Democrats. We've said before that they've struggled to find issues where they disagree with Merkel, One topic that they did focus on ahead of the election was defense policy. They oppose the 2% spending target. They see that as being imposed by the United States. They think that Germany should instead focus on development spending. They are also quite critical of NATO's stance in Eastern Europe. Now, we don't know how much they would actually stick to these positions after the campaign posturing is over, but particularly their proximity to Russia could mean that there is a less robust German stance on these issues after the elections if we do get a grand coalition. In terms of the other two parties, the Greens would support uh, much of the conservative line on foreign policy. The Liberals really only differ in that they embrace a stronger transatlantic relationship. They think that even with the Trump administration, Germany should work closely with the United States in the future. 
One thing that these parties all have in common is their strong support for European foreign and security policy, for European defense integration. That's something that might be a bit surprising to our British listeners, that all parties really have a strong EU identity. They support Germany's role in the European Union. Which brings us on to the next topic, really, which is what do the German elections mean for Brexit? Um, I, th I know there is a bit of hope in, in, in Britain that, that the Liberals in particular, because they are a pro-business party, would put economics first. But, um, but putting economics first in the Brexit case is not, does not mean making it easy for Britain to negotiate a, a deep free trade agreement with the EU. It also means protecting the single market, because the single market for German businesses is a lot more important than, than tariff-free access to any one country. And so that's why, that's why I, I don't think the, the shape or form of the coalition uh, after the election will have, an, will have an impact on Brexit. I think Germany's main interest in this is um, to protect the EU and to keep the EU united and to protect the, the, the institutions, the rulemaking. Germany is very focused on, on a rule-based order in both, I guess, foreign policy but also in, in, in Europe and economic policy. And so uh, keeping, keeping the integrity of that process and, and of the EU is, is probably the, the highest priority. And if you look at the election manifestos of, of the four main parties, so the CDU, the SPD, the Liberals and the Greens, um, there are slight differences, but they are, they are, not, they are not meaningful enough to, to really point to a difference in, in, in policy. What about, just briefly, if we do end up with a red, red, green coalition if Martin Schulz does become chancellor against our lots. I mean, we are, after all, in the UK where we've learned not to trust any political forecasting anymore. If he does become chancellor, is that good or bad for Britain? So th this is a bit of a, of a long shot, of course, but uh, if, if there is a left-leaning coalition, of course, they, they'd be more um, federalist, more Euro maybe slightly more European um, and, and maybe less pragmatic, but they have some so many issues, after 12 years of Merkel, they have so many issues to focus on, both domestically and in Europe, that Brexit would not feature very high on their agenda. Um, I think that if they want to make a mark on Europe that is different from Merkel, then they would probably um, tackle the Eurozone and, and, and other issues and not, not focus on Brexit. I think what's also really important to say is that there is this expectation among some people in the UK that really if you want anything from the EU what you do is you go to Berlin and especially in Brexit negotiations it's important to note that Germany is just one of 27 countries that need to agree on a common line and even though it's true that Germany is currently the most powerful, the largest, the economically most strongest country, Germany actually doesn't have an interest in imposing its will and its priorities on its European partners because Germany has learned that a European Union that only follows the German national interests in the end will lead to a backlash from allies that Germany needs on other issues. On that note, I think this is it for this podcast. We're looking towards the election on September 24th. I think one thing that's come out of our conversation is the big question is not who will win, but what comes after they win, after she wins. We will keep talking about that here at the CER. Thank you so much, Christian, for joining me. If you enjoy listening to the CER podcast, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud or iTunes. And while you're there, please leave a rating or a review. It helps other people find us. And you can also let us know what you think on Twitter. Tweet at us at CER underscore EU.